This week's episode of Aussie Tech Ed is brought to you by Start New Company. Register your company immediately today with ASIC. ABN, TFN, GST registration is also available directly from the portal. Also set up your family trust and self-managed superannuation fund and more. All at startnewcompany.com.au. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash startnewco and keep an eye out for our regular specials. Start your new company now within 10 minutes of lodgement. All legal company documentation provided after registration. startnewcompany.com.au. Also brought to you by athwebhosting.com.au. All our servers are operating on SSD drives, immediate activation, SSL certificates, Aussie support, domain registration and more. Easy install WordPress, Joomla, Drupal and 300 other one-click installations. Generous space and bandwidth, auto backups, WordPress help and maintenance plans are also available on contact. If your webpage is important for your business or your life, contact us today. Aussie support, secure services, athwebhosting.com.au. And now for the show. Welcome to episode 692 of the Aussie Tech Heads, recorded on the 3rd of September, 2020. I'm your host, Jason Oakley, and this is my co-host, Will Tompkinson. Hey, Will. Hey, mate. How goes it? Good. How's things your way? Uh, hot. Hot? Hot. It's um, currently 20... Is it just the start of spring? It shouldn't be getting hot for a while. <clears throat> well, it's currently like 28 in my computer room at the moment. Ah. I've got the fan on and everything. But mind you... <laughs> That's not unusual. We've had that for a while here now, so. Even in winter. Well, yeah, I mean, there were some days in winter there where we had it for, you know, <laughs> <laughs> had 30, hit 31 odd degrees there at some point, so. Yeah, I just got a t-shirt on, the fan over there. It's just nuts. Hopefully out of audio range. <laughs> yeah, you know, my fan's up there, but I would have, I don't know, it, it's, just, it's just bizarre, it really is. The weather's all over. We're supposed to be getting massive storms um, on Sunday, so we'll see what happens there. Oh, wow. Just hope none of your stuff gets flooded like that other time. No, a different house. Yep. <laughs> this house is waterproof. Oh, that's what you should have got the first time, right? Yeah, it probably would have been easier. Did you remember to ask the real estate now, when we get this house, we have stuff that doesn't like water. Is it waterproof or not? It's not one of those questions you sort of think you have to ask generally. You just make the assumption that the house is waterproof. Well, <laughs> joke's on you then, isn't it? Yeah, sir? exactly. You didn't right. ask that one. It's my own fault. Right here in the one point <laughs> font at the bottom of the page, house may or may not be waterproof. <laughs> That's it, exactly. So, but no, it's, um, you know, just a yet, a yet another bizarre week of Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Something tells me you've got another printer. I do, and this one actually mostly works. Uh-huh. I say mostly because it's mostly operator. It's like the really... earth is mostly harmless. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Yes. Um, so printing. Uh, I did one test. Uh, where did I put it? I did a test cube. 
Um, and it fell apart because it did. Yeah, I did one of the one of these little calibrate. They call them a calibration cube because they're um, what are they? Twenty five mil by twenty five mil, and they got X Y Z printed on them, and you know they're just a good way to calibrate the printer. So I did the first one of those, and there was no layer adhesion. I picked it up off the bed, and it fell apart, and all the layers separated. <laughs> and then I discovered that that's because that's got a point two nozzle, not a point five like it comes with. Yeah. Um, so it was just doing strange things with filament and stuff. So back that down and did one more, and it printed. And then I went, "Oh, let's just print something full scale and see what happens." So I did, and it mostly worked. I had the temperatures yeah. a little hot, but other than that, it did come with a full, a full. Yes, it comes with a full. No, the full operates the printer. That's right. The full sold it to you. <laughs> had a um, uh, filament guide. Yeah, that, I printed that out. Yeah, that suffers from the same layer adhesion issues. Uh, <laughs> I put it on. See, look, you can actually see the layers separating. Oh, uh, yeah. You can, like, if I, yeah, I mean, you can't really see it, but you can, you can kind of see the layers actually separating in there between the, the work. Yep. Um, so, yeah. When you printed this, you must have had your settings slightly wrong. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so that fell apart. <laughs> and a couple of other, the, a couple of the upgrades. What about um, the toolbox? That's cool. Yeah, I like that. That's this bit. Yeah. And it fits just underneath the gap between the power supply and the screen. It does. This would have to be the best print that you've done too, by the way. Out of, Isn't it? Out of all I of like them. It. <laughs> That's the best one. Some of these... Uh, these are fine, but the layer adhesion leaves a little bit to be desired, and they're kind of not—they're not great. But yeah. um, I think that's partly too that filament's not super healthy with life. Um, I might have to dehumidify it, chuck it in the oven for. Yeah, I, I got a air fryer with dehumidifier yeah. setting at like sixty degrees or fifty degrees. Just microwave it for ten minutes; it'll be fine. You can do that too. That is the thing people do. What? Yeah, that was a joke. No, no, it's the thing people do. Um, I don't. I put it in the in the in the air fryer and and on dehydrate mode for like six or eight hours. That sounds better. Um, but you can if you've got not like you wouldn't do it on a full spool, but say like you've got a test like in this bag here. There's a test roll. Yep. You could chuck that in the microwave for thirty seconds and it would work. Well, the good upgrade was the um, filament guide pipe upgrade to the Capricorn. The tube. Capricorn, yeah, the blue Capricorn. Yeah, that's um. It is expensive. It's it's what I mean. I say expensive compared to the normal PTFE tube. It's expensive, but yep. it makes a huge difference to the the efficiency of the machine. This um yeah this blue tube here. I'm probably not going to come out, but it's it's just super. Like if, even when you're comparing it to normal PTFE, just in your hands, you can feel how slick it is. Yeah, yeah. And then another thing you can do is you get a bit of foam, just a bit of the normal foam that comes with packing boxes or whatever. You spray some WD-40 onto that. You fold it. This one's a bit thick. You get a thinner piece. Fold it in half around the filament and put a peg around it just before the the intake to the uh, where it goes into the uh, extruder. Uh, the, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the feed for the extruder. Yep. And it does two things. It wipes the dust off the filament, but it just puts the finest sheen of WD-40 inside, the, inside that. Oh, all right. And it stops it from binding. So sounds like you're going to be having fun with your new toy. Well, that's what I've got to do on my printer because I've got about a close on a meter um, tube from the way mine feeds. So yep. that's the only way I could stop mine from jamming up. Now, didn't you get this printer to print the thing for the printer? Yeah, that's part of the reason I got it because I've got to print 
I've got a printer over there and I've bought three mil filament for with two point seven five mil filament. Um and nobody makes a conversion kit for that and I've like ninety five percent converted it to two point seven five, but there's one piece that I can't convert and I haven't been able to find. So I'm stuck with a printer I can't use and it's I've modified a lot of the original pieces that made it work with the normal f- filament so I can't com- backwards convert it anymore to put normal filament back in it so I've kind of got to keep going with the process but I needed another printer now to print the parts to finish the job so <laughs> it's just one of those things that kind of it just slightly progressed slightly more than I <laughs> had anticipated yeah, yeah. it to but uh, no it's fine I promise <laughs> <laughs> give it give it several months and you know it should be it's a different experience it's my first cartesian printer because normally my my previous one was a delta printer so i'm used to completely different settings different speeds different feed rates everything's completely different um as i was saying earlier like that job there which is a um a retro game holder console like like a tablet holder stand sort of thing that was a 14 hour print yep you know and something similar in that size like a battery converter it's like a one-hour print on my Delta. So, yeah. <laughs> like, the speed difference is insane. And that would but, be uh, for this? Yep. That's the one. The RG350M retro gaming console that I bought from eBay's. It's about $184. Not too bad. It's the best kind you can get at the moment. It's got a metallic case. And uh, due to a lot of feedback, they moved the two joysticks here down to the bottom and left the d-pad up the top here yeah which seems to make it a bit better it's got the shoulder buttons um hdmi out earphone out extra c uh, usb-c port charge from usb-c reset button at the bottom and you've got two ports for trans flash or micro sd cards and one of them's got the firmware that it boots off and the other one's for all your roms got a couple little speakers on the bottom left and right and um yeah it works really well comes preloaded with quite a few emulators yeah yep that's basically and any some freeware roms yeah you can't distribute commercial ones yeah yeah i mean it's basically what it is it's effectively a handheld um emulator like you you hear a lot of people talking about main emulators and things like that it's effectively a linux-based emulation system open dingux d-i-n-g-u-x (laughs) It's got built-in emulators for PlayStation, CP System, FBA, Neo Geo, Neo Geo Pocket, Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, Super Famicom, Famicom, Mega Drive, Sega Master System, Game Gear, Pokey Mini, and Wonder Swan Color. But you can always download a whole heap more of different ones and put on there. Wonder I've how... been trying out a lot of original Game Boy games, having a lot of fun. I was wondering how powerful. I probably wouldn't do PlayStation, would it? Or might just. That'd be that's about PlayStation the... 1. Yeah. That's, so that's Can't do N64 or Dreamcast. They're too powerful. But there's another one, 351, that was rumored to be coming out like right now. And they've got video of it playing stuff. But everyone's like, can it do... Dreamcast and N64, I really want it to. And there's a lot of back and forth going, yeah, no, maybe. So inside this one, it's got a CPU is a 4770 dual 1 gigahertz CPU with 512 mega RAM and 16 gig internal storage. Hmm. And um, everyone really loves it. It's got the best results, the best reviews. Doesn't have all the crashing that some others have. The um, display 
use 3.5 inch IPS display with a resolution of 640 by 480, which is better than the one that came out before it, which is just the, the 350. So they got um, RG is like retro gamer model. Then um, the M at the end stands for the metal version, P for plastic. And uh, they've got a lot of other different models. So the the zero at the end, oh, 3.35, RG3503.5 is the 3.5 inch screen on it. And the zero at the end is the CPU. So if you've got a zero CPU, it's the same as mine. If you've got the one CPU, it might be able to run Nintendo 64 and GameCube. And then there's a two, which would be in something very high end. And I'm not even sure what that would be at this stage. It's got a 2,500 milliamp hour battery you get your six hours of gameplay and uh, charge with USB-C so you can also get a, a rogue firmware for it and put on a Wi-Fi adapter and connect it to the internets and stuff but yeah it works really well I played um, Pac-Man, Tetris, um, Game & Watch series the Game & Watch is funny because you know how you had the games like Octopus yep. it was a LCD one yeah well, it has the LCD graphics, but you can also select modern graphics. So it's got nicely hand-drawn, pixelated, rendered with shading because of the four different levels of gray in there. So it looks like, and it's got more um, animation frames and different features and better music. So you can play it like on the original device back in the old day where everything moved slowly and looked like it was LCD. But also, you can play an upgraded version. It's got Mario and Luigi and Toad and uh, all their friends in it as well. Nice. Um, played Double Dragon, Prince of Persia. I didn't even know they would have had Prince of Persia on the Game Boy, but it plays all right. Yeah, it makes Castlevania sense. Castlevania and stuff. Yeah, that makes sense because it was on some of the lower-end consoles. So. Somebody's just done it for the Commodore 64 this year. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that would be interesting to try. Apparently, it's a really good I version. Had, but I, I had it on my Atari twenty six hundred. Oh, right. I had that, and I had like that, and uh, I think I played it on my IBM Compact back in the day. Yeah, and it was also on the Omega five hundred. I remember playing on that as well. Yeah, it was yep. actually we played it on that quite a lot, actually. Yeah, <laughs> good graphics. But yeah, you can put other stuff on here, like if you got Frodo sixty four. Any of the Linux-based ones will mostly work. So Frodo 64 let you play Commodore 64 games and Amiga games, fine, all that sort of stuff. So, But the ultimate question that everybody's wanting to know, can you play Doom? Yeah. <laughs> PR boom. That say, port works on it fine. And so I'm also, yeah, the, the happier version out there somewhere that would. Yep. And the cool part. If now played, I'm going to have to get that one and play it, you know. <laughs> well, if it plays Doom, it'll play Rise of the Triad, it'll play Hexen, it'll play Heretic, it'll play... Yeah! <laughs> all those. I wouldn't mind doing Rise of the Triad again. That oh, was, that so was a good game, actually. I used to enjoy playing that. I it, love the launching platforms. Yeah. Shoot you up in the air. It was such a simple game, but it was just a lot of fun. Yeah. Especially if you had a serial cable going up the hallway to your <laughs> flatmate's room. Yep. Yeah. Yelling at each other up the hallway, you bastard, take this! <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then also with Duke Nukem, where you could press the pre recorded buttons on your computer, yeah, like you bottom dwelling scum sucking algae eater. <laughs> it's time to kick ass and chew gum, and I'm all out of gum. Yeah. <laughs> so, but so some... yeah, that's why Mr. T has printed out that little display Holder. platform. Yeah. He's sold me his printer, then he goes, Oh, I got some stuff for you to print. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. that'd be right. While you're at it, <laughs> you seem to know what you're doing with that thing. I don't. So <laughs> I get a little display case. And what was the other thing? Uh, grips. Oh, the grips, yeah, which they're yeah. proving to be an interesting challenge to print, I tell you. Will they? <laughs> I'll print them. Don't you worry. I'll get it. Oh. You might receive 12 pieces, but I'll print them. <laughs> <laughs> so. As long as it doesn't have the adhesion problems like I had, and that's why it's 12 different pieces. No, I, I'm not having any. It's, one thing I'm not having is adhesion problems. That's perfect. It's nice and warm up there. It's adhe- I think, see, I'm just using the straight glass bed. Yeah. I just wash it down with soap and water, and that's I, that's it. I haven't done anything to it. I was just spraying um, cheap hairspray yes, on Yes, I know. You're spraying it on the bed, on the tracks, on the wheels, on it? the stepper motors, on the fans, on the circuit board. <laughs> You're spraying everything with it. That was probably the problem. Everything was so gummed up, nothing could work properly. <laughs> and what, did it, what else did you get free of charge? Oh, the spiders and the spider eggs that I found today. Spider eggs. <laughs> no extra charge for that. That's fine. Uh, I'll send them back to you. Return postage. <laughs> but one thing that uh, they're going to come in the box that's got the grips and the display in, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> the um, what was interesting is obviously I use Octoprint for my printer, and yep. uh, I'm going to use Octoprint on this, but I need to get a cable because it's a bloody mini USB, not micro USB. Oh yeah, I don't have a USB to mini USB. Not a, I've got a an old one that used to charge my phone, but it's it's not data, it's only power apparently, so I can't use that. So I oh, can't okay. use my, well, to use the Octopi, I got, so I'll have to Octoprint, I'll have to wait for that. So I thought, okay, that's fine, I'll just throw a micro SD card in it and print off that. Yep. So I turned the house upside down for three hours because I owned 400 micro SD cards and I couldn't find gone. a single one of them. <laughs> so I remember a thing that I had discovered a few years ago, and I'd completely forgotten about it. I had a... So, most people have seen this. This is just a standard uh, SD card um, adapter. Um, SD card adapter. You put your mini yeah. one in, so you, micro one in there. Yeah, so you put your micro one in there and it turns into a real card. But what most people don't realize is that on most of the standard... Um, this is not an adapter. This is a standard SD card. Yep. On, let me go to here so you can see better. So, what most people don't realise to save costs, what they do, they print when they when they form these cases, they form them without the little cutout. Oh, you can't really see it, but there's normally a cutout in there that would allow you to put the the card in. But when the cheaper manufacturers make normal SD cards, they make the case without the cutout. But inside it is they leave the micro SD and the adapter. So it's there. like an adapter pretending to be a real so SD and they sell it as a real SD. You can take the micro SD out and you're left with a micro SD and an adapter. <laughs> Most, except for the really... This is like the battery thing, isn't it? All over again. Except for, I'll have to talk about that now because no one knows what you're talking about. But So except for the real high-end cards, like I've got some really high-end um, uh, SanDisk-like mode whatever they are, ultra mode for fours or whatever. Like the really fast ones aren't like that because they use a f- actual faster card. But all the cheaper ones, because there's so many micro SDs being produced, it's literally cheaper for them just to use this adapter than it is for them to produce an SD card. So yeah, so nine, 90% of the SD cards I have, um, 
actually basically everything I've got in front of me here has a micro SD inside it. So if you're hunting around, for, hunting around for micro SD one day, just pull apart. You can pull them apart non-destructively, so that you just carefully open the case. I'll just pop apart. So in worst case scenario, if it has a full size circuit board in it, then you can just clip the case back together and and you, no harm, no foul. <laughs> um, but yeah, most of the time they'll have a, a a micro SD built into them. That is nuts. So yeah, so I thought that was pretty cool. But that's and a lot of the time if you have a one in your camera or something like that and it goes faulty um nine times out of ten it's because it's got that adapter in there and the adapters come loose or the cards moved so don't throw the card out just open it up and reseat that or take that out and put it into a micro sd reader and you'll usually fix the problem get all your database so yeah or you can take it down the road and pay somebody four hundred dollars to do the same thing yeah <laughs> and that's literally <laughs> what they're going to do. <laughs> they start to recovery services. Yep. So, yeah. I Tom was... over there in the corner who's bored and just looking at Facebook all day. Yeah, can you just pry that apart, chuck it in there, read the data off, charge them 400 bucks, yeah, five-minute job done. Yep, things. exactly. So, yeah, so just, just be wary of that, that that's more often than not a thing, um, which is pretty cool. So... It's also a good way to secure your data if you wanted to, because if you're aware of it, you could pop the case open, take the card out, flip it upside down, put it back in and have a, a faulty card, but it's got a lot of data on it. If you ever needed it, you could just flip the chip back over again. So That's where you put all your government secrets that you're going to sell on the internet. <laughs> That's it, exactly. So. How was the battery thing since we confused everybody? Well, oh, the- all right, so quickly. So if you've ever... In the pre-show, if you had to subscribe, then give us money for this uh, Patreon thing. You can watch the pre-show. Actually, I should it's, do that. I should just tell. I should just keep it as a Patreon thing and put it up on the Patreon. I might do that. Actually, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to record it after the show and it'll go yeah. up on Patreon. So so you people who haven't watched the show, you're not going to get to know at least you have to subscribe to Patreon. Do you have the Zoom this. auto recording now? No. <laughs> still, even after that expensive lesson, you still don't have... No. No. Lordy, lordy, lordy. Well, it's that that's the only time I've used the Zoom auto record and it's the only time my computer's exploded. So <laughs> well, what I was meaning was I know the you mean, pre-show yeah. tonight you could have Oh no, it's it's on I'll just go and grab it. Before I delete it off YouTube, I'll go and grab it quickly. Yeah. <laughs> no, but basically what it is, it's um if you've ever had those dolphin batteries, the square ones, you open those up and there's usually four D cells in there with a whole heap of cardboard to pack them in. Um, you're not saying this and, so I'll open it up and get acid and burn my fingers off and look like that guy in the opera thing no no the the proper ones the proper I think it's um, ever ready do the actual dolphin batteries right. it's the same principle except they are a slightly longer than a D-cell but it's still the same principle um, and 9 volt batteries um, come in two different configurations most of them when you take the steel wrapper off the outside have got 6 quadruple A batteries inside it Quad what? Yep. So think you. Really, there's only down to triple double A, a triple in the shops. A, double A, triple A, then quadruple A is the next size down. So they're smaller and they're about the same length actually. The length doesn't change really between a, a triple and a quadruple, but they get skinnier. Oh. Um, this is Russian nesting doll stuff. Pretty much, but bear in mind there are some nine volt batteries that have flat pack, um, flat pack cells that are literally just. But like they don't have a case on them. They are cells, and if you touch them, you will get acid on your fingers. They won't hurt you or anything, but just be aware that, yeah, there are some 9-volt batteries that actually use flat cells. Not many now. Most of them don't, but there are still some. Oh. 
So yeah, opening up a whole cornucopia <laughs> of things here, aren't you? I, I, Tell us some more secrets. If I get my Logitech camera and open it, is there going to be an even smaller camera inside? <laughs> In some cases, some of those forty-five dollar cameras you buy on eBay, probably. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna try it now. If <laughs> anything happens. <laughs> There's probably, yeah, they're probably just stuck a webcam Will's inside. going to manage to do the rest of the show all by himself. Oh, dear. So. I remember when I did that one time, it was a 12-minute show. And boy, <laughs> did the emails come in. <laughs> uh, Next sorry. time, I just don't do nothing. Well, I remember when um, I remember when the SSD drives first come out, before yep. SSD became its own thing, and they were kind of just trying to split off from, was it M... M drive M two. What was the? Was it M two? The small. I think M two is the really thin ones. Yeah, that they used to put in like netbooks and stuff before yeah. SSDs were a thing. Well, a lot of the early SSDs have just got an M two drive inside them. <laughs> they didn't have. It's just got a big case to yeah. make you think that you got a nice big hard drive. They they had a they had an adapter. They had a a SATA to M2 adapter, and then just a big lump of plastic case to make it feel <laughs> make you feel important. <laughs> So, or a lot of the um, compact flash um, back in the day was the same thing. They used to do um, compact flash adapters, PCM, PCM CIA, PCI, or ISA cards went into piece, and then they have a, yeah, a compact flash card. I'm went not into trying that. to open an SD card while we're live here to see what's inside. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not. <laughs> it's, it's easy enough to do. You should be able to get your fingernails in there or a knife or, you know, because my bench is full of that sort of stuff, so it's easy for me to do. You know why it's not going to work? Because <laughs> it's an adapter. Because <laughs> it's an adapter that's got a... Min- hey, I've got an 8 gig. Oh, I wonder if that's the that's one, the one out of the printer. Find this. There it is. I just found it on my desk here and out of nowhere. What the hell? Where did this come from? <laughs> the funny thing is, though, if you open that adapter, it would look exactly like the inside of that one I just showed you. Oh, uh, yeah. So. I oh, know. It says it's got my Commodore 64 games on there. Oh, That's okay. all right, then. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of um, Patreon like we were before, um, I didn't time it right this time. It's not at the top. Dang it. I'll have to come back to it. <laughs> um, yeah, so don't forget you can go yeah, to forget about that. patreon.com slash Aussie Techheads and uh, you can you can help us out there and we can afford to buy micro SD cards so we haven't got to pull our normal SD cards apart. <laughs> and get great clean that upgraded micro B. Yeah, that's it. Um, we'll have one that's got 32K in it. That's why there was no video show last week. Frozy Tech Heads because yep. he could figure out how to record audio, but he couldn't figure out how to record video at the same time, apparently. So, so yeah. Um, so, just quickly mention our Patreons. We have Chris, David Bird, uh, Daniel and Amanda D, Bouncing Yellow Skull, and um, uh, C, C. Den Denview, I think. I can never say that properly, but I think that's who it is. So, yep. you know who you are. So, thanks, guys. It means a lot to us. It really helps us out. And if anybody else wishes, you feel free to... Um, Jump on the Patreon and give us a hand head. and make our life easy. Um, so one more quick thing, just as a sort of a semi-news story, but there's no, it's not official. Just be wary of um, cash converters at the moment. I was at my local store today and they were selling uh, Chromecasts for $35. Except they weren't Chromecasts. They right. were Chinese TV display adapters. 
They had the Chromecast rip-off dongle, look like Chromecast. They'd even gone so far as to photocopy the Chromecast case and put it on the outside of their boxing so it looked like Chromecast. (laughs) They were selling them as Chromecast. They're actually labelled as Chromecast. Um, And it's only because me and the manager were just randomly chatting about stuff and I grabbed one and I just felt the weight of it. I'm like, hang on, this doesn't feel right. And we went through and looked at it and it's not. So she's taken hers off the shelf. Um, But I don't reckon most of the other stores have done that. So just be wary that that's the thing if you go there and don't they're not they're not actually Chromecast, um, so they theoretically shouldn't even be selling them because uh, that's they illegal. won't be anymore. <laughs> well, hopefully she said she's going to make their head office aware of it. Yeah. Um, so hopefully somebody they'll take dodged them. Well, they basically now they've turned into a bulk auction. Place they basically buy auction stock cheap and flog it off. Um, there's very yeah. little secondhand stuff in cash converters anymore. They it's... probably got their in eBay store and buy stuff cheap on eBay. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, they do. I have... Everybody does that, though. You know, all these stores pop up and they're like, somebody will bid something and get it a low price, and then next week it's on for an extra fifty bucks, exactly the same item. Yeah, I, I have. It's exactly. um, it's not not unusual that. They actually do have it's stuff. Um, see if I can quickly find it on on the. While you're looking at that, the, I should say the reason I got this RG350M emulator device is because I want to do more game development. And I did the Spectrum, and we've had over 700 people download my Spectrum game. Thanks, people. And a couple even paid money for it. So I want to go into doing Game Boy development for the original Game Boy and try and make a cool game that'll run on Game Boy and the Game Boy Color, which the Game Boy Advance will also play. So that's my next project is to learn how to program stuff in. So that's a really bad photo because people at Cash Converters don't know how to take photos. But (laughs) you can see it literally says um, Google Chromecast on their price tag. It's got the Google symbol there, YouTube, Hulu, Netflix, everything down the bottom. It's got the Google dongle on the cover, which actually doesn't the one that's in the box looks similar but not the same so yeah and it's really really light like literally it's it has no weight to it at all so yeah that's what a legit one looks like theirs looks very similar if you flip it back over see how you've got the shiny ring theirs has the chrome symbol but it's all done in matte instead of shine Uh. so yeah so just be be aware hang on if i actually do that then people can see it there you (laughs) shut up i'm new to this right so, I didn't even notice. <laughs> I no. can't say. So yeah, so that's that's um, yeah. Don't don't buy them. It's legit. <laughs> she gave me one. She goes here, take one and see if they actually work. I haven't <laughs> I haven't been, been game to plug it in yet. <laughs> it's it's uh, one of those uh, Chinese spying devices that's going to report back to Chinese headquarters all the stuff you're doing. I don't care about that. I just don't want to blow my TV up. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's reporting everything. What's new? Yeah, I'm not worried about that. that doesn't phase me in the slightest. <laughs> Speaker reporting. That's a great segue into news. This is a new show, right? It's okay. It's say called so. Aussie Tech Heads, not Aussie Tech News. I'll have you know, son. That's that's my show. Wait. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Oakland's non-profit. Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment housed 40,000 historical pieces of video game memorabilia, including 11,000 playable games. 
In 2017, they were the ones urging America's Copyright Office to allow museums and libraries to circumvent DRM to preserve abandoned online games like FIFA World Cup, NASCAR, and The Sims. Museum sponsors include GitHub, Google, PlayStation, and PlayStation. Would that be Sony? I was going to say it'd be Sony, wouldn't it? <laughs> this little black device you can play games on is it's a sponsor. Yeah. And Dolby Digital. But now the MADE is set to close its doors with uncertainty ahead about whether it'll even be able to reopen. Founder and director Alex Handy said in an interview that the group managing the museum couldn't reach an agreement on rent for the place during the COVID-19 crisis. 80% of its budget comes from admissions, its website says, and since it's been closed since March due to the pandemic, it's now forced to shut down and move its collections to storage. Storage will be paid for thanks to donations still open on their page and will also go towards eventually finding a new space for the museum. The current plan is to stay in storage for two years while we raise the funds and make plans to create our own dream video game museum. The website reads, when we're ready, we'll be back and better than ever. Mark our words. So if you've got a few bucks, throw them towards the um, Museum of Art Digital Entertainment and uh, help them out. It's always annoying how it's usually something stupid like that that causes the problem. Yeah. You know, it's never the fact that you know, there's lack of interest generally. You know, it's when something something goes wrong, it goes really wrong. Yeah. You know, and it's so annoying because there's a guy I was watching on YouTube, um, Lewis Rossman. He does uh, iPhone, iPad repairs, stuff like that, Mac repairs. Um, but he moved into a, an apartment in, or a, a build like workshop a couple of years ago in New York. And now, obviously, there's nobody in New York and like there's the the city shut down yeah. and he went back to one of the places he looked at back when he was looking for somewhere so it's been empty since he's been looking for the last couple of years yeah it was it was empty before he started looking and it's still empty and they actually want more for it now than they did back when he was looking at it he's like I didn't take it back then because it was so expensive clearly everybody else has thought the same thing and now they want more for it like, this is one of those dodgy write-off business places that uh, businesses buy just so they can write it off as a tax loss or something. But you, you can do that, but you have to have had tenants in because the the they will pay out uh, as a loss of income, but only as what the previous property was worth. So in order to yeah. claim loss of income on it you have to have rented it previous well at least this is in australia i don't know about america but you I had always to have... wonder about those shops have you seen king of knives yeah i've never seen a person purchase anything in there or enter the store or anything it's always just the guy who works there so i was like is this like one of those write-off things where you're like nobody buys anything because all we sell is knives and people can get them anywhere so we don't have any customers um money well no see yes and no it can be but you have to have a prior functioning business model for that to happen oh. so you had to have been making money at some point is this just a so, terrible idea for a franchise thing yeah i don't know i don't know but I don't know. it's one of those things it's like but it's the same thing in ipswich here where we are it's it's dead at the best of times like businesses are constantly moving out because they want too much for for places it is and now so yeah, some of the places they seem to want more for it. And you just look at it and you're like, <laughs> you do realise that nobody's got any money at the moment, right? 100% of nothing is still nothing, yeah. but 50% of something, <laughs> something is something. Yeah, exactly. You know, 
drop the rent, halve the rent, see if you get somebody in there, and surely you've got to come off better off than you are currently at the moment. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't... I don't understand. <laughs> so anyway. But speaking of... Um, well, things. Uh, actually, I'll do this one first because it's a quick story. Windows 10 update, the last one that's just come out, uh, causes blue screen of death for ThinkPad laptops. Oh, it can't be good. For some bizarre reason. It's Lenovo's. It's the ThinkPads. Made in 2019 and 2020. It's causing blue screen deaths and breaks Windows Hello biometric login. Ah. Uh, it's the update KB566782, which is the last one that just went live. Um, basically, it causes blue screen death on Lenovo Vantage laptops. Um, or if it doesn't do it on boot, it'll do it when running a Windows Defender scan. Um, other symptoms include broken authentication for Windows Hello, as well as errors in device manager that relate to both Intel management engine, CPU subsystem, and device infrared camera. Um, there's a workaround currently, which is to disable the enhanced Windows biometric security in BIOS, in the virtualization yep. menu. Um, but, yeah, so basically that's the error will still occur if the app attempts to use the um, Intel management engine. Um, so hopefully they'll fix bring up that for that because it's it's a lot of laptops that it's broken, especially given that it's the last like the latest model that's out, and there's yeah. a lot of them being bought because there's a lot of people who've just bought laptops. <laughs> so yeah, it's probably either don't install it or roll back to the previous one um, before something bad happens. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, it, it, apparently, it's also breaking um, a lot of. Other laptops that have, or laptops, computers in general that have um, Hyper V, um, which I'm not, I know it's something to do with the virtualization. I'm not super up on what Hyper V is. Um, but yeah, apparently it's that, if your system's got that, it's susceptible to breaking. So, yet another cause for not updating Windows. Because <laughs> it's never caused us any problems. No. <laughs> Well, since you're on that track, I might segue into something similar that I'd already prepared. Windows 10 May 2020 update, otherwise known as version 2004, was released in May with at least 10 known issues. Microsoft later expanded the list of problems and acknowledged this feature update is also plagued with a bug that breaks drive optimized tool. After upgrading to Windows 10 version 2004, users observed that optimized drives, also known as the fragmentation tool, is not correctly recording the last time a drive has been optimized. As a result, when you open the tool, you'll see that your SSD drive says it needs optimizing, even though you manually optimized the drives already or automatic maintenance was run this morning. Since the last optimization times are forgotten, Windows 10 built-in maintenance tool started defragging an SSD drive <laughs> much more often when you start Windows. Yeah, that's what you want. With Windows... 10 build 19042.487 or 20H2 for insiders. Microsoft has finally resolved all the problem with the optimized drives. So Mr. T can probably explain why it's a bad idea for your SSD drive to get constantly defragged. Uh, the short answer is they have a limited write and read cycle. Well, limited write cycles. Yep. Uh, if you have an SSD, 
uh, Windows knows and operating systems know it's an SSD, so they'll really minimize on the amount of cycles they'll hit the drive with. So instead of doing uh, using virtual memory, they'll tend to minimize how much virtual memory they use in page files and how many uh, temp files and backup files they'll create because you are limited to, I can't remember the figure, but it is a finite number of write cycles. Um so therefore, theoretically, and also, well, and there's another thing that goes with this as well. Other than having a limited number of write cycles, which defrag to move one file could do several thousand read-write cycles to move one file in a defrag, if it only if it's only moving a chunk at a time. The other issue with that also is an SSD doesn't require a defrag because it doesn't have a mechanical seek feature. So the way defragmentation works on a standard spinning disk is actually here's a good example. Uh, I've got a, a here's one I prepared earlier. I've got a clock sitting here, <laughs> but the principles <laughs> are same. So you have basically the head, the, the disc spins, and then the head tries to find a specific part of data on that disc. So by defragging it, what you do is it aligns all the program files from the inside out, and it and it makes all the programs one starts, one finishes, so that when the head tries to find a file, it goes to one spot and can read that whole file from that one spot instead of having to go to here, then around to here, then over here, then back here to find that file. And what happens is if so, you install a game that's one gig and then you delete it after installing some other stuff, that space is now there. Yeah. And then you do that with more files and it's got temp files and stuff. You've got holes all over the place and files scattered in and out. And, and that's what they call fragmentation. That, that's what, and that's what you do when you do a defragmentation is you're, you're, you're putting all the files back together so that it increases... It does two things, and it optimizes the drive in terms of speed and efficiency because it doesn't got it hasn't got to seek and find that thing. Um, it also can free find uh, what they call bad sectors um, or incorrectly written sectors where you might have a half deleted file, for example. It can go through and sort that out on a SSD. Um, being a digital drive, it's not. It's seeing all that data at the same time. It's not seeing it as one one particular section of file. It, it just sees the whole lot and it goes, I want this bit. I want this bit. Yep. It doesn't care where the data is on that drive. It doesn't take any longer to go to the far end. There's no rehead it's, moving in and out and back and forth. Yeah, and... it's not a physical movement. It's a digital movement. So it doesn't take any longer to send the data across the full length of the drive as it does to get it from one end of the drive. Um, so there's, there's the two reasons defrag's bad, but primarily because it'll, it's a really quick way to eat up your write cycles and, and instead of an SSD lasting, you know, in the old days we used to say a spinning disk should last you five years and then after five years your reliability drops off, you should change your spinning disk to a new disk. With SSDs, I know they're warranted for three, four years. The average person isn't going to have a problem once again for five years. They're designed to last that five-year cycle. Then the the chance of degradation increases. Therefore, you should swap it out after five years. But if you have a rogue defrag program that's defragging your drive every day, you could kill that disk in a couple of months. Yeah. It really will be that quick. So One of the ways that the um, SSD get around that kind of problem is they write the data, but when you delete it, they don't start writing in those deleted spots. They keep going until they've run out of hard drive and everywhere that's marked mm. delete. Then they go back to the older stuff and then start writing on the oldest place spaces that are now vacant and marked as deleted. 
Yeah. And if you delete other stuff, that'll be marked as old and it just goes through that way. You've got less wear and tear throughout the whole drive. It also does mean something to be wary of, though, that it means an SSD is, and this goes for, that applies to any digital meter, whether it's SSD, whether it's memory cards, whether it's thumb drives, the, the limitations are the same. Whether it's even the built on, um, built on memory on devices, exactly the same thing. They all have limited write cycles. Uh, the downside to what, what what Warlock was just saying about the way that they delete files, they don't actually delete the file. So file recovery, the upside of that is if it's on a camera, for example, file recovery is really easy. If you have a corrupted file, chances are you can recover it. On a hard drive, it does bring into privacy concerns. If you sell that computer and you've just done a quick delete on your drive, if you haven't washed the drive correctly you can very, very easily recover everything that's been deleted on that drive, especially if you've never filled the drive up. If you've got a a, a terabyte SSD and you've only ever used a couple of hundred gig, nothing you've ever deleted is actually gone. Everything you've deleted is still on that drive. It's just marked as... It's just marked as gone. Don't show them when they boot up Windows. Yeah, so you can run a file recovery program and it will recover everything you've ever deleted in the history of that system. So that's just something to be wary of. If you are selling a, a system, make sure you get somebody who knows how to either do a proper erase on a drive or for the sake of, what are they now? $35 for like a 250 gig SSD. Chuck it in the microwave. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Not if you value your microwave anyway. Um, but uh, go and buy another SSD, put it in, reinstall Windows and, and sell it with a fresh drive because it's, yeah... You know, it's just the easiest way of doing it. Um, you can get uh, DOD level drive washers, which Mr. T was talking about. That'll go through. If you get, if you want to do it thoroughly, it'll go through and wipe the whole drive with zeros. Then it'll go through and write them all with ones. Then it'll write through with random times. numbers all the way through. Then back with ones and then back with zeros. Because even if you just wipe it over once or format once, they can still recover the residual magnetic. The- the data between the data. <laughs> yeah. But that might, I don't, actually, is that still a thing on an SSD? I know that works Probably on not a spinning on disk. SSD. It would be on the others, though. On a spinning disk, that's still a thing, yeah. That's we why. Have to mandatorily do it at businesses we worked yeah. at. If they were throwing out a hard drive or they didn't want it anymore, it was just you needed to have it washed completely. Yeah, seven, seven passes. Extra- and don't forget, quick format. Don't do <laughs> shit. It just tells the MBR that data's not there and you can write on it again. Unless you're around somebody's house that you don't like, you do f- format slash MBR, then walk away, and the computer works perfectly fine until they go turn it on next time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that I remember Extra Gold used to have a wash command. Oh, all right. In. Yeah, you could wash. You could wash a drive with Extra Gold. Damn, that was good software. Ah, oh, it really was. Um, anyway, use it for like your your boot boot system. Come back yeah, you menu, have a boot you put menu, all your yeah. programs on there, just like which one. That's you want, how you used to make my boot menus. Everyone's like, and... "Oh, you've got a really cool boot menu. You can boot into Windows ninety five. You can boot into three point one. You can boot into your games menu." My games was optimized for games. You know, obviously had emm and stuff loaded and highmem.sys and all this. And I was like, oh, "How do you make it look so cool?" I'm like, I ain't telling you that it's all done. Like extra gold, like has this <laughs> default template for it. Yeah. <laughs> I love uh, spent a lot of time setting up X Tree Gold and stuff, showing my cousins how to do it. Well, the neat part about it was you could set it up, get it exactly the way you want it, throw it on a floppy drive, leave that out in the cupboard, and then when you got a new hard drive or a new computer, you just do exactly the same thing again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good old ghost, Norton Ghost Utility. Yeah. <laughs> you used to upgrade from 250 meg drives to 500 meg drives. You just 
throw the ghost on there and you're good to go. Yep, yep. Oh, dear. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, Telstra, Optus, TPG, and Dodo. They're all names you'd be familiar with. They all call it's themselves... everybody, isn't it, now? <laughs> yeah, not far off it. They all call themselves um, service providers, and yet they're all hit with 8,000 breaches of NBN service continuity rules. Whoa. So, basically, the um, ACMA... The Australian Communications and Media Authority announced on Tuesday it found over 8,000 breaches of the telecommunications service provider NBN. Wow, really? Telecommunications service provider NBN service migration determination in 2018 and telecommunications NBN continuity of service industry standard 2018. <laughs> I'm done. That's it. What even is acronym? <laughs> Um, so basically, the four telcos have been hit with enforceable undertakings. Um, they now they now now need to report to the SMA each quarter. Uh, basically, when a customer fails to connect to the national the NBN, the rules force telcos to provide an interim service to customers after three days. Its connection is still not activated after twenty days. Telco needs to create a remedial plan, and should forty days pass without a working NBN connection, the technical audit must take place. So, four, over 4,000 breaches uh, was Telstra and Belong had 3,200 breaches related to not producing a remedial plan and 1,000 to not conducting audits. Uh, it's an enforceable undertaking. Incumbent Telco said the shutdown of its outsourced Indian workforce due to the coronavirus pandemic combined with its onshore workforce needing to fill the gap had hamstrung, hamstrung its ability to meet its obligations. What a crap. <laughs> that sounds like a you problem, dude. Yeah. <laughs> the so you didn't plan ahead. Yeah, that's right. If you didn't send everything offshore, I don't see Aussie Broadband having this problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, in actual fact, Aussie Broadband, when we signed up uh, at work with them, um, there was a screw-up by the NBN that went back to when they installed it and they had the wrong shed numbers allocated through the wrong boxes. So they physically couldn't get the NBN to connect to our shed because the the connection for that box wasn't to our shed. And after two days, they went, here, have a 4G unlimited data dongle on us until you can figure out what's going on. Nice. <laughs> so, That's the kind of customer service you pay for. And then they forgot to cancel that for about the next 12 months until they went, <laughs> are you still using that dongle? I went, can um, we have our thing back? So I'm not really using it. It's sort of sitting there as a backup if we ever need it. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's still sitting in the in the router as a backup in case the NBN Thanks goes Thanks for down. letting us know. We'll just mark customer is keeping full backup. <laughs> Pretty much, I mean, yeah. It's it's still active. It's still sitting there. <laughs> it didn't send a SWAT team around kicking down the door like some other ISPs might. No. Um, the te the uh, telco next was Optus with 2,000 consisting of 500 breaches of failing to supply an interim device. Uh, 500 for failing to advise customers about the interim service and 700 for failing to create an interim plan. 1300 was recorded by TPG, 628 for failing to supply interim service, 630 were failing to advise customers about interim plan. Dodo recorded 584, mostly made up of failing to supply an interim service. Um, so yeah, so basically, um, apart from the fact we already knew that all these providers sucked anyway, but be aware of your rule. Be aware of... Know, know the rules of, of what you're getting done. Like, 
one of the biggest complaints I hear about the NBN is, oh, they installed it in my in my garage, and what am I supposed to do? And they did that because that's literally the closest thing to the street, and that fulfills their requirements. Not because they, you ultimately you decide exactly where it goes. It's your house, it's your property, it's your service you're paying for. You get to choose where it goes. They're gonna whinge, bitch, complain, and 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 you know scream bloody murder that no, they can't do that. And you go, well, if you do not do it. I will file a breach against you and you will not receive any more contracts. So if you do not do as I say, expect to be unemployed. Yeah. Because that's all you do. You file a complaint, they will no longer receive jobs because they're all contractors. Yeah. Um, and if they have put it in a spot you don't like, you then ring up and you say, I told them to put it here. They didn't. They put it here. I would like that remedied, you know, and they and have, to, they have to come out and do it. They have to. That, that's part of the NBN contract that you're signing with them. And so, even if even if it wasn't a screw up like that, they'll still do it for you for free at least once. Yeah. Because I had when I moved into this house, I think the people who stayed here before they were renters definitely, but I think they didn't know what an internet was. But um, the NBN box was in that wall over there in my bedroom with the flashy lights up this end of the house. Mm. Most of the internet stuff is down that end of the house. So I just rang them up and said, "Can you guys move it?" They're like, "Yeah, no worries." They came in. And it was done in the one day. Just took the box out of here, rewired down the other end, plug it in, test it. Yep, works fine. Yeah, good. All yeah, done. because no you're a new, you're a new contract. Yeah, yeah. that's that's all. Part and they of it. even went, oh crap, this this has got a a bad emergency battery. We'll just give you a new one for free. There you go. There's I mean, something... that one's gone flat. They only last a year, but <laughs> there's something else you don't need. Um, yep. And I'm saying this as a someone who sells batteries. You don't need your NBN backup battery. That same 7 amp hour battery that goes in your NBN backup alarm lasts 5 to 10 years in a normal alarm system. They've screwed up the internals on the battery backups and they fry batteries. And they last uh, usually 12 to 18 months. Yeah, um, my it's, dad's I mean, had to buy a couple. You know, it's only 20 bucks a battery, so it's not a big deal. But you don't need them. You can Because it will only keep your modem, it will only keep your box active in the case of a blackout. But unless you have your phone and your computer and your router and everything else on battery backup, it's not going to do anything. Especially the router. Yeah. Um, and something to plug into the router. Yep. You know, unless you've got battery backup on that stuff, it's pointless. So literally That's these... That's why I haven't bothered. Mine's yeah. got a red light on it. I'd, the only thing I did was unplug it so it would stop beeping at yep. me to say that it was... I was going to say, all you do is you 10 mil spanner, you take that 10 mil bolt out, Open the front door up, pull the power supply out of the charger cable that goes into the battery backup, pull the power out of the NBN box and plug the power cord into there and bypass the whole unit completely. Now, if I open that battery... No, if you open that battery, you'll have a battery. How many D-cells are in there? Or quadruple A's or quintuple A's? They're called AGM for a reason. It's absorbed glass mat. You know what's absorbed into the glass mat? Sulfuric acid. <laughs> Me? <laughs> it won't actually. It's not strong enough to hurt you, but it'll sting your eyes a little bit. But okay, yeah, I so, won't pull that one apart. So yeah, um, you it doesn't don't... even have an SD card in there. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> Basically, yeah. There's there's no gold nuggets in there. There's no point opening it. Oh. Um, I've got plenty of work that have exploded. I can show you the inside of them. <laughs> Tell you what, that that, that wakes up cut when their NBN batteries exploded in the box. <laughs> that that wakes them up. I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and then they come down to wheel what do i do here's another one 
Yeah. I mean, I'll sell if people want them, but normally I just tell people to disable them because, honestly, they're the biggest waste of space. The irony is, though, the one that I've got installed um, installed here is the one I had at the other place, and it's been like five years, and it's still on the same battery. Jeez. <laughs> and I'm like, fig- go figure. You know, they're telling people they last two years and mine's lasted five. <laughs> But yeah, it's now if you've got like emergency medical devices and yeah. stuff that need the internet going, that's get, right. Keep make sure you got. The, we should say that is a byline. But, but, but then again, you still need to have you. you still need to have your other stuff back. Like you still need to have power to the phone, to the bracelet, to the sender, to the router. So you would have to have a UPS of some description aside yeah. from that as well. So just that by itself isn't going to do you any good. Um, now I think they told me when when I got mine installed, it's best if the um, router NTD box is plugged not through a power board or anything, but directly in as much as possible. Is that a thing, or it's um, not going to trip your power board? Your it's not going to make it work less. No, your router's going to have to go through through your. No, the NTD box itself. It's on the wall. Oh, the bot. network terminal device. Oh, no, it, it's just a. It's just a effectively a router itself it doesn't care it's that's what i thought yeah they said it's better better not to plug that into something else so i i kind of understand look it is possible to introduce noise into the system right but they use a filtered power supply like the, the power supply on them is a big box it's not a small little wall wart it's a pretty decent sized box they are a filtered power supply so it would be fairly difficult to introduce enough noise to interfere with it um I would be more concerned if you're doing that, if you've got that plugged into the same power board that you've got your router plugged into and you're introducing enough noise to upset the NTD box, your router's going to have a bad day first. Okay. So, yeah. I, I would... guess I suppose it goes that if if something else on the power board trips the power board, then everything's going to go out and you're going to lose your internet as well. But then... But it is anyway. It's going to go anyway, <laughs> so... Yeah. It's back in the day. It's the same when they used to say with Foxtel, always plug your Foxtel box into its own PowerPoint. Yep. And they used to have the earth on the Foxtel box that had a dedicated double-ended plug that went into the point to earth it. But that's the only reason they said that is because that earthed the satellite dish and the box to the ground so that it, if you got hit by lightning, it didn't fry everything. Uh, but that would still work through a power board and it would still work through anything else, but you had to have that plug plugged in. But the way they worded it made it sound like you had to have it in that PowerPoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Cool. Amazon is getting into the health gadget market with new fitness band and subscription service called Halo. Isn't Halo a Microsoft thing? (laughs) That's a game. Unlike the Apple Watch or even most basic Fitbits, the Amazon Halo band doesn't have a screen. The app that goes along with it comes with the usual set of fitness tracking features along with two innovative and potentially troubling ideas. Using your camera to create 3D scans for body fat and listening for know, the emotion. For that. <laughs> and listening for the emotion. I need one of those widescreen cameras yeah, like I got up here. The 360 ones. And listen for the emotion in your voice. The Halo band will cost $99.99 US and the service, which is required for Halo's more advanced features, costs $3.99 a month. Amazon was launching it as an invite-only early access program today with an introductory price of $64.99 that includes six months of the service for free. The Halo service is a separate product that isn't part of Amazon Prime. Lack of a screen on the Halo band is the first indicator that Amazon is trying to carve out a niche for itself that's focused a little less on sports and exercise and a little more on lifestyle changes. 
Alongside cardio, sleep, body fat, and voice tone tracking, a Halo subscription will offer a suite of labs developed by partners. They're short, they're, they are short challenges designed to improve your health habits like meditation, improving your sleep habits, or starting up basic exercise routines. Now, I should mention that since I'm a Fitbit guy from last few years that they got the Fitbit Sense has just been released with new features, uh, Versa 3 and a new uh, band one as well. I'm very confused by this. So yeah. you're releasing a watch that forces you to look at your phone because it doesn't tell you anything. Yeah. So you've got to wear a watch that'll give you your strides, your steps, your distance, everything like that. And then you have to look at that data on your phone as opposed to your phone recording all that data where you'd have to look at it on your phone. Yep. I mean, huh? if you've got the Fitbit app, it can use the accelerators and GPS and stuff in your phone and record your stuff that's, without any bands. That's exactly what I'm saying. It literally does exactly the same thing your phone does. But and it's then, on your arm. And it's, the, Will, it's on your arm. See? It's, but, it's got none of these. None no, of this it's got none of that with on the it. Weather so and you, stuff. you can't use it as a watch even. So it's not technically uh, a watch. It's an armband yeah. that you, you tells you nothing, does nothing than what your phone Probably the only thing it does your phone can't do is your pulse. Your phone can do everything else. And then to look at what you've just done, you have to get your phone out anyway and then wait and then... But does the I'm phone sorry, monitor your, your, the mood of your voice constantly? Yes, Aha. Google does. Thank See, you. how much would you pay for that? I don't have to. Google already does it for free. $3.99 <laughs> a month and it could be yours, Will. I'm sorry, but... In this, plus a hundred dollar band. Don't forget the yeah, band. Exactly. very nifty band that you need to make everything work that your phone can already do without it. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's just atrocious. <laughs> that's really that's horrible. I don't think. Well, <laughs> Google is in the middle of buying Fitbit. I don't think either of them have got any problems to worry about at this point in time. No, but it's it's just like seriously, what why? what what is well, that? people what? said that about Alexa, didn't they? Huh. Yeah, people were right. <laughs> I said the key word. Everybody's machines just turned on. What is he saying? He said my name. Stop going blurry, Mr. T. You're upsetting the, um, the watches. Uh, speaking of, that's the thing. Like, what happened? Some executive sat there and went, I know what I need. I need a device that does everything that my, my Fitbit currently does. I just don't want to see any of it. <laughs> <laughs> it does the same thing, only worse. <laughs> I, I'm, I have nothing for that. I and really you can pay a monthly fee for that privilege. <laughs> yeah, it's Amazon. I'd be, I'd be decimated if I couldn't pay a monthly fee for something. <laughs> <laughs> and and then they go, no, it's not a part of Amazon Prime or nothing. This is an extra charge on top of that even. Yeah, because you're not paying us enough money already. So have yeah. this thing that's useless and pay for it. <laughs> wow. Do you think they just want more money? I don't even think they even... I, I, I reckon they did it as an April Fool's joke last year and went, I wonder if we can slide this through and if anybody would actually notice. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just do it and see what happens. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Dear, dear. Um, quickly on the. I'll internet. say um, while we're still on the subject, Fitbit Sense because they're looking to get bought. They'll probably get bought by Google now. Is a Google Assistant as well as Alexa in there? By default, it right. only had the Alexa 
and it's got uh, EDA sensor plus high and low heart rate notifications and an on-skin temperature sensor. It was pretty nice, but I don't I think I'm going to spend $500 for that one when I've got this Versa 2, which suits me fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that, that's it. Like, I, they all effectively do the same thing realistically some do something slightly better or worse or they're a bit more customizable or whatever yeah. and then amazon just goes mine's going to do absolutely nothing new and we're going to take features away and we're going to charge for the privilege a monthly fee <laughs> i just find that hilarious i'm in the wrong game I tell you yeah the striker's like... got a google nest mini not alexa oh he's happy then yeah i, got google. So I shouldn't we shouldn't say hey google play hey. aussie tech heads podcast Tell you what you do, um, yeah, that's it. So sorry. Hey Google, <laughs> subscribe to patreon.com slash Aussie tickets for twenty dollars a month. <laughs> I tell you what, you can do um what Google just went off <laughs> said I don't understand. <laughs> uh, you can do um I'm blurry again. What I what I like. One thing I'd actually completely this inadvertently discovered with Google the other day. I did yep. um, play um, uh, Nightlights, and it actually does this full-on nightlight thing for like Disco. ten minutes. Does a routine, does a like to go to bed, like plays bed music, sleep music, and, and plays, plays Lisa Keith. I like the nightlife. <laughs> I want a boogie so on the disco. Cool. I'm only just starting now, like realizing more and more things that Google can do. It's actually. <laughs> I just randomly say stuff. There's and so many it. millions, you just can't think of what they all might be. No. Um, so, speaking of internet, quickly, actually, all my stories are all internet related. Anyway, um, a mob called Centrelink. They're a world's largest network provider. They're a level three, tier one uh, IP content delivery provider for, you know, big business, basically. Um, they botched a response to a DDoS attack and oh. they kind of shut themselves down for a few hours. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, so the others took... So basically they were undergoing a DDoS attack um, and their response didn't go the way they expected and they took down mass amounts of uh, websites including the Xbox Live site. Um oh. And there's a four-hour outage. Um, and just because of the sheer size of them, it meant it caused something like 3.5% drop in global traffic. Holy crap. Um, as a content You don't want to upset the gamers. No, but I mean, that's a... You know, how many hundreds of trillions of teraflops per second of data are being passed around the it's internet? Yeah, 3.5% drop in. That's an absolute uncomprehendable amount of data disappeared for four hours yeah like yeah. You, you your brain can't process that sort of immense you know it doesn't sound three and a half percent doesn't sound like much but that's like basically taking i don't know taking most of probably the usa out of the equation for traffic yep you know that's that's that sort of Huge. chunk of data went missing for four hours <laughs> <laughs> um and basically they're saying that um uh, the network was not honouring um, root withdrawal, so basically, it w when it 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 didn't, so they normally have multiple ways to access uh, the next 
link in the chain effectively. So if they can't get through that router because that router's being DDoSed or that router's restarting, they can go around this way. But basically what they did was they, when they tried to negate the DDoS, something went wrong and that no longer allowed their network traffic to flow via alternate clear paths. Um, it basically it basically turned the routers off instead of switching the way that they were traveling uh, and missing the ones that were being DDoSed and the ones that were being attacked and under load instead of just bypassing them and going to clear ones. It just went, no, we're just not going to do anything now. Uh. <laughs> um, so Cloudflare, um, who's obviously a massive um, backup, I guess you'd call them the, the real-time backup site, I suppose you'd, you'd say, Um they use them for their traffic as well. And basically, they're saying that their plaus- one plausible scenario is that they uh, issued a spec command to try and block an attack. Um, and then the spec rule was basically done incorrect. And the largest number of backup routes um, made it difficult for them to log into their own interfaces. <laughs> so, <laughs> they yeah, they, they kind of, by trying to do the right thing, caused... Things even go problem. even worse. Yeah, it, it's hard. It's it's very hard to explain simply because it's a very complex issue. But the short answer is, yeah, they basically. Um, if you think of phone exchanges, like you might have, say you've got, you know, say for example, you've got Sunshine Coast, Brisbane, Gold Coast. That would be your main line. Let's say the Brisbane exchange goes down. Well, they'll reroute, reroute through Ipswich or through Toowoomba or they'll just keep going across until they find one that works. And basically that didn't happen. They went, hey, this one's busy. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Ain't nowhere else for you to go. (laughs) Yeah, it's not like this one's busy, try the next one. So this one's busy. So the DDoS (laughs) was effective. The DDoS was, well, no, the the irony, yeah. I guess guess the DDoS was effective, yeah. It shut down their server. But the funny thing was that DDoS had almost a non-noticeable impact itself. Like the actual DDoS almost did nothing at all. (laughs) Their response to the DDoS is what brought them down. So. Uh, So this is the. I was going to say, didn't Telstra do that last year to Optus or somebody? A uh, uh, switch blew up and Telstra wouldn't release the backups, the rerouting. So Optus basically, or Vodafone had to sit there and wait until the techs got around to changing the switch. And then Telstra got in a whole heap of trouble because they're not allowed to do that. I'll tell you something interesting that I heard from a guy who worked at Telstra many, many years ago. I don't think he would now because he was quite an old guy when I met him at doing a course. But um, he said when they first had the network set up, somebody in Sydney forwarded their phone calls from the business to their Adelaide office, Mm. not knowing that the person in the Adelaide office forwarded their calls (laughs) to the Sydney. (laughs) So they didn't, they didn't have a way of detecting if a call had Had been forwarded. Yeah. So they said somebody rang the Sydney office. The call went through to Adelaide got relayed back to Sydney, relayed back to Adelaide, relayed back to Sydney, Adelaide, Sydney, Adelaide, until all those exchanges were taking up, then started routing via Brisbane <laughs> and used up all of those networks, then started routing 
by Western Australia trying to find a way to get there and they just get it and eventually took down a lot of the system. So then they put a flag on a routed call so that when it got to the other end and said, this was routed for here, it'll say, well, I'm not going to send it back to you because that would be a stupid thing to do and then just drop the call or make a busy sign. But until that stage, they hadn't had that occur. So suddenly all the exchange backup lines all got flooded. They couldn't do anything. It's actually kind of funny. The, the we had something similar because we're on the um, we're using obviously the digital version of a exchange these days. Yep. Um, but they, we do that at work. We transfer um, <clears throat> when the Acacia Ridge store gets busy and there's no more lines left. It transfers out to our mobile. Um, but the thing is, our mobile transfers to Acacia Ridge when it gets busy. Right. So, but the landline at work, when we're not there, it also transfers to the mobile. So, you've got two separate locations transferring back into the mobile, but because ours are set as a primary location, it actually doesn't detect the loop that you're just talking about. So, if somebody rings and it transfers from Acacia Ridge to the mobile... The mobile will ring, but if I'm on that phone from a diversion that's occurred from our work, from our Ipswich phone, it won't pick up the fact that the transfer has failed and it'll send it back to Acacia Ridge, which then sends it back to us. So it actually will, in, in, it will actually create an infinite loop based yep. on the fact that it's transferring a phone, but the phone's busy, but not busy because of the transfer. It's busy because of a separate transfer from a different location. <laughs> <laughs> I rang and the phone just rang and rang and rang. No, we always pick up. No, no, never got through. Yeah, so we've only I've only just discovered this as a thing because I've had a few people going, the phone just kept telling me because it, it says when it's transferring call, yep. it says your call's been transferred. Um, and somebody got a hold of me and I said, um, I literally just was being told my call was being transferred like 14 times. <laughs> and then after the, 90, the 35 seconds or whatever it is, it goes to voicemail. You're like, oh, I've just got a really big call center, you know. <laughs> All our operators are busy. Please stand by. Your call is important to us. <laughs> you're, you're a person, not a number, we promise. It's never what, important your, to anybody. Leave your phone number and we'll get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to. It transferred me again. Um, over six, for over right. six years, one Wikipedia user, Amaryllis Gardner, has written well over 23,000 articles on the Scots wikipedia and done well over two hundred thousand edits that's pretty amazing in itself <laughs> isn't it that's a lot of the only problem is that amariel gardner isn't scottish they don't speak scottish and none of the articles are written in scottish since 2013 this user a self-professed christian intp furry living somewhere in north carolina has simply written articles that are written in english Riddled with misspellings that mimic a spoken Scottish accent. Many of the articles were written while they were a teenager. Amaryllis Gardner is an admin of the Scots Wikipedia, and Wikipedians now have no idea what to do because their influence over the country's page has been so vast that the only option seemed to be delete the Scots language version entirely or revert the entire thing back to 2012. <laughs> this ridiculous situation was discovered by a Redditor in our Scotland who happened to check the edit history of one article by the Redditor... The Redditor's account, Amaryllis was responsible for over one-third of Scott's Wikipedia in 2018, but they stopped updating their milestones that year. 
<laughs> wow. For, for five years, nobody knew that the Scottish version of Wikipedia was just all crap somebody had made up. He did it for the lulls. <laughs> that, I mean, that's... I mean, I know people tend to go to Wikipedia and not pay much attention, but that's taking it to a whole new level. Like, <laughs> that's insane. Doesn't that tell you that there's absolutely no need for the Scots version? Yeah, because nobody much. noticed <laughs> in five years' time that it was all just BS. That's, yeah. So obviously, they're all going to the English version or some other language version and not Scots, because otherwise people will go, well, hang on, what the hell's going on here? Mm. Then who do you contact? Web I mean, host at wikipedia.org. Dear know, web host. If it was a Star Trek or Star Wars uh, Klingon, uh, a Wookiee, uh, you know what I mean? Like if it was something. They would know that second. Yeah, that's right. Some bastard that's... changed one letter in the Wikipedia article about Wookiees on end. Yeah. Why does a Wookiee live on Endor anyway? Yeah. Chewbacca's a Wookiee. He's not one of the other little guys. This is what I mean. Like if it was. But. You know, Scottish are just like, oh, no, 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 that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's I can actually, read it fine. That, that's actually how it is. <laughs> that's how we speak over here anyway. That's not how you make footage. Yeah, that's, oh, that's, that's, that's an interesting dilemma. But they're right, though. What do you do? Because if do? they've written 70% of the data... I mean, do you take 70% away and be left with the 30% that's possibly still not right anyway? Yep. <laughs> Maybe like, there was stuff that he fixed up correctly that nobody knows. Well, this is the other thing. I mean, not okay. That he knew Scots anyway. No. But this is the thing. Okay, maybe not 100% of it's right, but maybe be half of what was posted was right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, so something just quickly... I'm not going to go too much into this because it, I could do an entire show just on this, but I just want to make people aware of this stupid media bargaining code that the government, although the government's not getting involved, uh, has decided that needs to happen now. So basically, what they're ba the short version is basically saying if you post a link to a media outlet story so anything that newspaper journalists or tv or any news at all whether it be facebook whether it be google whether it be twitter whatever if you post a link that's come from a media outlet in australia that organization so whether once again so if you post a link on a facebook page facebook then has to pay that media outlet money for linking to them to their story all right so now if you put that in the context of google google already pays the media outlets uh, you know the media outlets pay to have ads placed on their website which are most likely google ads because that's what they do and then google pays them every time there's a click you know a click or there's a view or there's um things like that google actually already pays media outlets higher rates than a lot of other companies to start with. But in return, they get the media outlets get the traffic and the search results and the rankings in Google to find the story searchable in the first place. So what's going to happen 
Well, okay. What the government thinks is going to happen is that they're going to get a lot of money because every time somebody links to a news article or a story, they think that they're going to be paid for it. In reality, what's actually going to happen is that Twitter and Facebook and all those sort of places are going to ban links from being shared from media sites, from Australian media sites. All foreign media links will still be valid, therefore they'll be the ones that get seen. And search engines will simply remove the crawling on those websites for the links to never appear, therefore their stories will never get viewed because nobody goes to a media website to search for a story. It also presents a massive problem for somebody like 9MSN who is a search engine and a media outlet because now it means that they now have to pay themselves to have ads to pay for the news stories that they've linked themselves to. And other news media. (laughs) And and the other ones on top of that. So Google's basically said, look, okay, you can go to the Google... Uh, if you go, you to, go Google, to Google anything, even YouTube, and they're like, yep. oh my God, the Australian government's doing the thing. Yep, and Facebook has just released one as well, saying that um, it'll stop news posts. Google said it'll stop news posts. So basically what's going to happen is that once this passes, because it's just stupid enough that it probably will, um, there will be no searching for Australian news stories. And what I don't understand is who... <coughs> okay, so put yourself in the, the shoes of, you know, one of two people who own all the news corps in this... <laughs> news media in this country. <laughs> not... I mean, there's a, there's a handful of independents, but not including those. Basically, the, 99% of the media is owned by one of two people. And so I can imagine them sitting in their office going, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill all traffic from coming and seeing our search results. So the upside is we've never got to pay for clicks and we've never got to pay for ads because nobody will see them anyway. And nobody's ever going to see the stories we publish so we can publish whatever we want, but nobody's going to see them anyway. So who's going to bother to write the stories that nobody's going to see because nobody's going to pay to see the stories that they're not going to write because they don't have to anymore. So we don't need editors. We can fire all the editors and make a lot of money. Then you fire your publishers. Then you can fire yeah. your, your secretary. Then you can. And how much money would they have then? None. None. <laughs> so I, I just don't understand. I, I cannot. I've approached this from 20 different angles and not one of them makes sense. Except for the media moguls who think they're just going to hit the jackpot from Google and Facebook paying a millions the for no un- reason. That is literally the only thing I can think of is that these people really think that they are so important that they will function without search engines indexing their sites. Your website is not where people go to look <laughs> for news. Google is the internet. Facebook is the internet. Yeah. If, if you're not looking for something on Facebook, you're looking at on Google, and that's the only places people are going to find stuff. Or Twitter or Instagram there, or, you know, it applies across all those platforms. Yeah, but Joe, Joe Average, when he wants to look for yeah, a story about right. X, is yeah. either going to go to Facebook to see if their uh, search algorithm bias has 
shown him what he expected to see anyway. Yeah. Or he'll go to Google, go to the Googles and type in the words and find links to websites. They're not going to go to newspaperwebsite.com.au and go, oh, let me have a look through here and see what's happening. But this, the super part, see, this is the other thing. They can't even go to, say, you can't even go to the Courier Mail on Facebook because they can't publish their own links. So they can't even self-promote themselves because yeah. their links will be banned from Facebook. So it, th- there's nothing about this that makes sense. Um, yeah. And as um, Stryker just said, duck, duck, go, but it applies to all search engines, not just Google. It's literally anything on the internet that indexes a media reference. <clears throat> so it could be Twitter, it could be Facebook, it could be Instagram, it could be DuckDuckGo, it could be Yahoo, it could be Dogpile. You know, yeah, it, it's literally WebWombat. It's literally anything. Um, now, I know that um, websites that are based on, um, like, uh, Minds.com, for example, don't care because they're a peer-to-peer site. They're not a centralized server website. So they're unfiltered in that regard. So they're not going to care. If you post a news story, good luck. You know, like there's, there's nobody that can pin that on because it's not a, it's not a centralized service. So the only way you're going to have around this effectively um, is you're going, you're, you're basically going to have to pay for its subscription to a newspaper, which I think is what their end goal is. I think, Murdoch, for example, you know, we want your subscription to the Sunday Times so that you can look at the three stories a year that you want to look at. I think that's kind of where their headspace is, but it's not going to work. Or, hear me out, the daily Oz search engine that indexes all the Australian stuff because it's owned by the media moguls anyway, Mm -hmm. and then somehow convince people to use their search engine. Yeah, because that works well. Um, or you know just... how you've been using the Googles for the last 15 years? <laughs> yeah. Or use, use, use the Aussie daily search.com.au because it rolls off the tongue and stuff and sounds but neat and hip. The thing is, the under their own ruling, they're going to have to pay to do the same thing because they're a search engine. doesn't matter if they're owned by a media corporation. Do they mind if they pay themselves their own money? They'll have to pay, but not only themselves. If they're... If they're you know, if they're searching other people's news stories, they're going to have to pay them exactly the same. Oh, well, every <laughs> every news outlet just has to set up its own search engine. Yeah, because yeah. that's going to be successful. Or you could just go and, like, look at the news on other paper, on other parts of the world that don't charge. Which is what everybody <laughs> does when there's a news paywall and you're like, oh, you've been to this website twice in the last four years. You better pay us. $50 a month to be able to access the news and just go, how about no? How does that work for you? How you know, about I never come back to this site ever again and go to one of the other 5,000 other news sites that are all just copying the same news anyway? Yeah. Have it for free. Well, I mean, you look at a lot of stuff on Facebook now, a lot of it's from um, from like the UK Times and whatever. Like so much of the stories that are currently being shared don't come from Australian papers anyway. So... No. <laughs> But uh, like I, I just don't, I don't know. 
I, I actually heard on the internet that Australia is not even a real place and the people who say they paid are actors. paid actors. <laughs> I had this argument with a flat earther. He goes, Australia is not even real. He said, it's full of paid actors. I said, yeah, well, where's my bloody money then? Why yeah. am I broke if I'm supposed to be a paid actor? That's right. All, <laughs> all actors start off broke anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe, I'm, maybe I am on the right path then. <laughs> You'll be Hollywood star next year, man. <laughs> Uh, we'll be looking for Big Welly. <coughs> That's a different star. <laughs> That's not a Hollywood star. No, but you'll be famous. <laughs> Any more news but for you? Is that the sort of fame you want? I mean, you got to ask yourself <laughs> these questions, really. Uh, no, we're an hour and a half in. I think we're good. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Aussie Tech Hedge Show broadcast weekly. We can be found at facebook.com slash Aussie Tech Heads, twitter.com slash Aussie Tech Heads, and youtube.com slash Aussie Tech Heads. Now also at patreon.com slash Aussie Tech Heads. Sign up for $4 a month, $10 a month, or from several other tiers if you want to give us lots of money. See the site for details. Email us glennwheelwarlock at aussietechheads.com.au. You can hear Aussie Tech Heads on aussietechradio.com. 24-7 back-to-back play of some of the best tech-related shows from around Australia and New Zealand. New shows added each Friday. See you next time. Bye.